Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas change the world. I have a question for all of you. Do your people who travel to support your business believe that you're doing everything you can to keep them safe and secure? Does your organization believe they have a duty of care for them? Because the world's changing dramatically. We have the new threat vector of COVID-19 and may be facing a new era of similar outbreaks. We have socio-political divisiveness leading to civil unrest with the corresponding ramifications of the new role of law enforcement in mitigating that risk. We have climate uncertainty, we have global terrorism. And the question is, do we have an agreed upon standard of care for our traveling workforce? And are we taking steps to mitigate their risks? Fundamentally, I think we can all agree we need to have an overarching risk management standard, an internationally recognized standard. And so I'm calling on three discrete uh, members of our security ecosystem, all with various um, perspectives to weigh in on this. And one of the foremost ones is a gentleman by the name of Ronnie Sutta. Uh, he is part of the new ISO Travel Risk Management Standard Committee. Uh, we are bringing in Patrick Kane, who is a foremost corporate security practitioner, and Max Segal, my good friend Mac, who helped me put this uh, together today, uh, the owner of ANA, an executive protection agency. Gentlemen, welcome to the great conversation. Thank you for having us. Hey, Ronnie. So, Appreciate it. Thank Ronnie, you. Ronnie, Ronnie is sitting in Norway right now with a cell phone running out of a battery. But Ronnie, give us give us an over uh, what you've been up to. So uh, committee and what we can expect from it and what you think the impact will be. Can you do that for us? Yeah, I, I, I can do that. And, and thank you. And thank you for having us. Uh, it's great to spread the word about the new standard, you know. So ISO 31030 is the new uh, standard on travel risk management. And and some time back, smart heads put their heads together and decided to create the standard on travel risk management. So what this standard will do, and, and to say that first, this standard, uh, as the name says, it's 31030. So it's in the 31,000 series. So that means it's based on everything from the 31,000 risk management. So it's built on the principles, framework, and process of, of, of that standard. So what, what this standard seeks to do, and one of the aim is to promote the culture where the travel-related risk is taken seriously, and it's resourced, and within the organization and, and you can manage uh, it effectively. And, and also it will help organization to meet the duty of care responsibility. And to do that, I think that is quite important though, to, to, to help organization to meet that responsibility they actually have to, towards their employees. And it also provides a means for organization to demonstrate that Travel decisions are based on the organization capacity to treat risk using internal resources with, resources with external assistance, you know. So in some, one can say 
that this standard will help organizations to, to have a holistic approach to travel risks. And with that, I mean everything within, like health, the health side of it, the cyber side of it, and the physical side of it. So I, I'm quite sure that companies out there will, will, will find it quite useful. And I, I'm so happy that it's out there now. And yeah, I, I think that's what I want to say. I, I, can keep on, I can keep on going, you know, but, but finally it's out there and now we can use it. It's now the work really starts, you know. Well, what, what I just heard, and, and it's, it's really good we, we flag this because we've been talking about holistic enterprise risk management for some time now. And we forget that, you know, from a program level, an overarching program level, we need to apply the same rigor to um, the spheres of influence that come out of the corporate risk strategy and, and program into things like, I'll call them, I'll call the razor is a, a risk management standard. And the blades are things like travel risk management because you know it offers a different perspective and a, and a whole different uh, suite of applications. Uh, uh, Patrick, from your standpoint, does, am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think one thing that's helpful with the ISO 31030 is that it's not a prescriptive standard. It's more of a guideline or a framework that we can look at and compare our existing programs to to see if there's areas that we perhaps have overlooked or areas we should emphasize more or other facets that um, without that without that ISO 31030, we would have to rely entirely on uh, peer benchmarking and so forth. So I think in that regard, it's a very valuable document. And I think for, uh, for organizations without a program, without perhaps a security function in their organization, it gives them an opportunity to present them also with a framework and uh, kind of a sort of a map or roadmap for them to follow as they establish a program. I love that. I love that. And most of us, I think, are applying benchmarking. That is, they're t they, they want to benchmark their current practices against a standard, if you will, to see where they fall and to keep them honest, if you will. So very good point, Patrick. Uh, um, using the same principle, is we have an overarching standard, but then it's applied from different perspectives. How do you believe this will change, if any, the executive protection profession uh, around travel? I think that it's an excellent question. I think the standard hopefully uh, should have a significant impact in that department. Uh, a hotly debated topic in the executive protection industry is that there is no standard. Um, various organizations have tried to introduce some sort of standards for EP, um, but to no amount of success thus far, meaning that every EP company and practitioner does what they see fit in providing duty of care to their clients. But when a corporate security manager says to us, what hotel do you recommend in Nairobi? Or can you provide secure transportation uh, you know, in Kamchatka? That's up to me to define what that is, right? And it might be I'm using a guy who knows a guy whose friend's cousin knows a guy who told me about a guy who's got a car, you know, in Lagos, and that's who I'm using. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a security driver. It doesn't mean he has insurance. It doesn't mean that I'm providing duty of care 
to my clients, which in turn means the CISO isn't providing duty of care to his executives. But now it's a different conversation. Now there's a guideline. Now the corporation turns around and says to me, hey, Mr. Siegel, do you guys follow the, the ISO guidelines when you survive select transportation providers for us, for our clients, for our executives? So it's going to pull everybody into line uh, and ensure a higher level of duty of care if people actually implement and follow it. And like anything else... Can I add something that was... Can I add oh, something to that? Sure, Ronnie, go. Yeah, perfect. I, I just want to add something Patrick said, like it's 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 informative and, and that was something we really focused on when writing the standard. And and the purpose is that it uh, is, is uh, informative and it doesn't tell you what you must do. It tells you how you can do it. So it's it's a guideline, right? As also Max says. So with the guideline, you know, in the standardization world, you have two types of standards. You have the standards you can certify against and you have the guidelines and they are both on the same level. So no, no of them are better than the other one, you know. So I, I support both uh, what both guys said, both Patrick and what Max said. That's just fantastic. Here, I, I, I'm going to throw some ideas at you folks. And this comes from my perusal of the standard and also um, uh, some of the statements made by the ISO committee. So Ronnie, Patrick, and Mac, here, here I go. The question is, how do I get started? And right now, today, if um, uh, since there is going to be a sense of urgency, we're, 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 we're starting to travel again uh, at the very same time, very poignant, same time the standard's coming out, fantastic. So um, I... Uh, I have like four or five bullets here that I copied down from the standard. And I'd like you guys to weigh in on them if you can. The first one is, as far as getting ready now, define, define the ownership, right? Define the ownership. And um, uh, tell me what you think that means. Uh, obviously, uh, risk can, has different functional heads to it throughout the company. Mac, you and I have talked about, you know, who's really responsible for risk in, in the travel organization. Uh, but is this a good time to redefine who owns what? Who are the stakeholders in the organization, gentlemen? Yeah, I, I just want to say that, yes, I, I believe so. But I'm quite curious to, to hear what the other two guys are going to say, because I'm, I'm quite subjective, subjective, you know. So, Absolutely. so I, I, yeah. Yeah. And I'll and 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 hey, uh, the podcast community, I need to get better job at uh, directing our people here. So, Patrick, you next. How, uh, is this a good time for you to reevaluate who and what in the uh, in the organization? Yeah, I think from the perspective from inside the organization, uh, it is an important time to make sure that all the stakeholders are are involved and on the same page. And I think for the majority of organizations, if you have a mature program, there's already a lot of interaction between security and travel, sometimes the insurance function, HR and so forth on these issues. And I think for the providers as well, I think this is helpful for the providers because it provides them an opportunity to kind of see if they are matching up with their offerings to uh, everything that's outlined in the ISO standard as well, so. Right, right. And for Mac, uh, I would imagine for, 
for the people who view in the executive protection industry, this should have a standard and are helping to bring one forward. This allows your competency, your insights, your risk management pedigree to come out. And quite frankly, I can see it adding to your, um, your consultative advisory, if you will, wouldn't you? I absolutely agree. I agree uh, with, with what Pat said. And I think that the industry is in desperate need of this. This is way overdue. Um, the fact that it is a guideline, not a standard, because obviously it cannot be applied to this, you know, to companies of different industries equally, um, makes it palatable. Because once it's a, a standard that has to be compliant with audits, it's more complex uh, to implement effectively. Right. Um, the key is. Um, that the EP companies, from, from my perspective, um, it's interesting to me how many of them have read the standard, how many have purchased and read the guidelines. Um, you know, I wrote an article about it on LinkedIn. It's interesting for me to see you know, who's reading it and who's not. And um, when we discuss this within the industry, how many of the serious EP companies are aware and are reevaluating uh, their vendor selection process to make sure that when a corporate security manager says, hey, are you guys in line with the ISO guidelines, they'll be able to answer, yes, we are. But time will tell. Very interesting. Of course, answering a RFI or RFP with a checklist that we're aware of the standard isn't as important as integrating the advisory into your best practices. So it's one thing to say something, it's another to be measured on what you do. <laughs> so, which drives me to my next question for Patrick King. If you think about it, we've always had a challenge, I think, in industry, and maybe we haven't, Patrick, you slap me a little bit if you don't think so, but we've always, I think, had a challenge. If you think about all the stakeholders in the business who touch risk management, uh, anyone from, of course, the physical and logical security function, the risk management function, HR, occupational health, health and safety, insurance, procurement. My gosh. So, so Patrick, that, that all these stakeholders, what's the best way of communicating this standard across all your stakeholders in, a, in, in, in your company? Well, I think, I think it depends on your organization. And one of the strengths of this document is that as we, we spoke about earlier, one of the strengths of it is that it doesn't heap everybody in the same pile. It understands that uh, a, ma a manufacturing company is not the same as a financial firm, is not the same as an aid organization, is not the same as a charity of some kind. And it, it opens up a degree of flexibility. So I think depending on the organization, the particular type of organization, the context, the culture, the resources, all those things are gonna influence how you implement it and who you have to have at the table. And then I think one of the other strengths about it, as you, as you open it up and, and involve yourself in, the, in the, the, the areas it covers, the specific topics, is that it's both, um, I think, open-ended, flexible, without be, and is not prescriptive, but at the same time, it still acknowledges things which are subtle nuances. As an example, uh, there's an appendix in there, an annex in there, I believe it's Annex F, that speaks about hotels. And it discusses, for example, 
the uh, impact of a hotel depending on the threat environment, which I think is an extremely important aspect. So you don't want to say you should always stay at a high-end hotel because depending on the threat environment, perhaps it's not the ideal choice. And that's, that's a component I find often absent in other material that's out there about travel security and so forth. So I think I think it's going to depend a lot on the organization, how they how they want to implement it, what stage they're at right now with their existing program, and then uh, being able to capitalize on both the flexibility and the understanding of the subtle nuances which which exist in the uh, the ISO three ten thirty. Lots lots of wisdom around that. Let's let's uh, add the external parties, somewhat like vendors like Mac for a second, and what it in my my business language, um, I, 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 I really call it looking at a scorecard for uh, assessing vendors' credibility. And so in the ISO standard, Ronnie, we, we have this idea of building accreditate, accreditation uh, across your RFPs uh, against your different service providers in the space. And so this is an opportunity for the rigor, Patrick Kane, of your organization to really have a way of talking to vendors and assessing vendors and scoring them on their ability to have knowledge around this, but also at the same time for the vendors uh, to express their competitive advantage in being able to provide the kind of insights needed across all your stakeholders. So first, Patrick, uh, do you... Do you see this coming quickly that more and more companies will be putting this into their RFPs and RFIs? I would think so. I mean, I think the, um, the ISO came out at, a, uh, at an excellent time. I think it was ex- very timely because of the whole situation involving COVID. And I know it wasn't, it wasn't planned off COVID or stimulated as a result of COVID. It started before the, uh, the initiation of the pandemic, but I think it's excellent timing because we're at a point now where we're starting to kind of return to travel, especially international travel. And it's a good time for organizations to kind of start to look at what they have done in the past, as opposed to the information that's in that standard and see how does it kind of measure up as we emerge out into a kind of post COVID world, which I think obviously we have an acknowledgement of the health issues as which involve both COVID and other health issues, I think our our, our um, acknowledgement of that is higher now. But there's also the whole second order effect of COVID, the third order effect of COVID, with the impact on economies around the world. What effect does that have on civil unrest? What effect does it have on political instability, crime, and so forth? All of which are going to impact uh, an organization's travelers. You know, um, which brings me to who has a seat at the table table most of all. And Mac, I got to tell you, your industry, the executive protection industry, if you think about it, has a front row seat at the table on means of travel, uh, 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 the the housing of travel, the activities around travel, and, and yet you apply them mostly to executives. But do you see your industry uh, maybe becoming an advisory to the whole company that would include all employees? Do you see that happening? I guess that's not, uh, not our decision. Within corporations, uh, the cutoff, where, who gets what support? CEO, COO, C-suites, 
vice presidents, senior vice presidents, right? Who gets secure transportation? Who gets executive protection? Who gets a contingency emergency phone number for they're on the ground uh, somewhere in, in, in a, a higher risk environment? What contingencies do you have in place? So if you have low, low, uh, lower level uh, employees, as, um, you know, a sales team going out, uh, they don't get EP. They take a, a taxi from the airport uh, to the hotel. Um, but is that the right thing? Is that duty of care? I think not. Um, in my experience, we work uh, in the corporate space and ultra high net worth space. Uh, we don't usually see, we don't get consulted. No one says to us, hey, what should we be doing um, for the people below C-suite who don't get EP, who don't get all the service, right? Uh, and I'd be, if somebody asked, I'd be saying, well, they should be getting some training about international secu uh, security awareness, travel security awareness, best practices at hotels, at stations, etc. Um, they should get training. It shouldn't be voluntary. Anyone traveling internationally should get that. Um, and in terms of especially things like transportation, yep, we've got to think about the guidelines and say, how do we educate uh, travelers in the organization, throughout the organization, uh, to stay safe when they're traveling using the guidelines out of the ISO uh, standard? That's a just outstanding wisdom. Uh, Ronnie, let's end with you. Uh, what's next for your subcommittee uh, 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 as far as the, uh, the timeline here? First of all, I just want to say that what I hear from both Patrick and, and, and Mac is, is like music in my ears. They have read the standard. They understand what, what it is about, and that's good to hear. It's, it's, I'm sure this will benefit both the provider side, but also the, the buyer side. And as, as Patrick says. So also you can set the scope, the context and the risk criteria in the standard. You can see how to do it. You can see the trial risk management process and you can see how to manage the trailers and you can see how you still can continuously improve your program through recording and reporting. So to your question, the next step error, you know, the standard is published, finally published in September. So. In, 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 the, in the standardization language, standardization language it's so that you, we are going to revise the standard some, some time going in, in, in the future. So uh, from three years time to five years uh, time, within that time frame, we are going to revise the standard. So for now, it's out there. And as I opened with, it's now the work really start. You know, we need to promote the standard. We need to get companies to understand the value of it and how they can use it to to actually again what i said in the beginning to to fulfill fulfill their duty of care responsibility that they actually have towards the, uh, their employees well this has been a great conversation uh to kick off the uh, new iso standards around travel risk management and uh we will continue to follow uh, how companies are um, respond to this. So, Ronnie, I commit to you, we'll be asking the question of security practitioners like Patrick and, and Mac in the future. Gentlemen, thank you for a great conversation.